Now, back to the book of Galatians. It seems like quite a while, um, but it was quite a while. I was gone. I missed three Wednesday nights, and then last week we talked about India, so that's four. So it's been about five weeks since we've looked at Galatians 6. Uh, I want you to go back to Galatians 6, verse 1, and let me remind you what we, what we talked about that five weeks ago. Um, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. <clears throat> We're talking about um, that one of the means of grace is the restoration of sinning brothers, and, um, and then we talked about um, uh, the who is to do that, and that was my major emphasis. And one of the, the, the warnings here is to um, you know, take heed unto oneself before you start becoming a, a, a sin police and um, pointing out everybody's sin. And we remember we talked about um, Matthew 7, about the, the, the speck in your eye and the beam in mine. And, but there was one other thing that I wish I had said, um, uh, and I want to say it tonight, in terms of when, when Paul says in verse 1, you who are spiritual, um, who are they? <clears throat> what, kind of, what kind of folks are they? And there was one thing that I wanted to say, and I didn't. Uh, it's one of my... my uh, I guess it's one of my favorite subjects, I guess. Um, But before you uh, get involved in this process of restoration of a sinning brother, um, understand that it's a a brand of Christian that can do it and do it well and do it rightly. Uh, and, And included in this characteristics of the spiritual is is humility. Um, if you're um, if you tend to be uh, high-minded like myself, then you probably ought to stay out of this work. Um, this requires uh, someone who knows something and has tasted something about humility. I, I want to tell you a quick story, and then we'll move on to verse two. Um, but let me say again: God hates pride. Have you ever heard that before? Have you ever heard some preacher say that before? As many times as I have said it, and as many times as I have thought it, in an application to my own life, not yours, I still veer towards pride. Let me tell you a story that comes right out of Daniel chapter 4. Daniel 4 is uh, the story of Nebuchadnezzar. You might remember him. He was the king of Babylon, and... and um, He's walking around his kingdom one night, and he and he sees all these uh, these beautiful buildings and these luxury gardens and and uh, the street lamps and uh, the uh, um, the uh, parks and uh, and just uh, admiring all of the, his great kingdom. And he says, um, uh, "Look at this great kingdom that I built." And the voice comes from heaven and says, um, uh, "You're in trouble, big boy, and um, you're gonna." And because you have uh, uh, taken credit for something that God did, you're gonna you're gonna walk around like a beast for seven seasons. And and and, and I've I've never figured out what the seasons were, whether they were seven days or seven weeks or seven months or seven years. It, it really doesn't matter. But he, um, um, in essence, was driven to insanity, and um. um Wander around like a beast for, let's just say, seven weeks. What do you say? For seven weeks. And then, as you may recall, um, uh, 
the, um, at verse 34, it says, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to, and my reason returned to me. Um, God blighted him for those seven weeks because of his arrogance. And so for seven weeks, he was a beast, maybe seven months, who knows. Um, but at the end of that time, my reason returned to me. God gave it back to him. And that's when he makes this incredible statement about <clears throat> all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will, even among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? And then as he closes out this chapter, Nebuchadnezzar makes this observation about his whole experience. He says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride... He is able to humble. Now, the reason I draw your attention to that story is, you know what the next story is? Chapter 5. I just read you the last verse of chapter 4. You know what chapter 5 is? It's the story about the handwriting on the wall. You know, this hand appears and writes these, uh, these strange inscriptions up on the wall. And, you know, it, it occurred in a big uh, a drunken fest, a big party that was thrown by King Belshazzar. And, uh, of course, uh, mini, mini, Paris, Perkle, Turkle, whatever it is, and that is, you know, your days are numbered and your kingdom's over. And that night it was. His kingdom was over. Now, here's my, here's my question to you. Do you know who Belshazzar was? He was Nebuchadnezzar's son. Here's my point. Belshazzar saw what his daddy went through. Belshazzar saw that his daddy was turned into a beast. Belshazzar saw all this roaming around in the wilderness as an animal for seven months and his, and his fingernails growing into claws. Belshazzar saw every bit of that. That was my daddy out there in the, in the fields who lost his mind. That was my daddy who said, those who, who walk in pride, he is able to humble. That happened to my daddy in my house. And yet it didn't stop him from being a prideful man. Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. I can watch somebody very close to me that I care a great deal about. I can see him go through a humbling experience where everything is torn from him and not learn one. Does that not terrify you? That we are so bent on high-mindedness that we can be that close to God's judgmental hand and it not even phase us? Oh, yeah, well, you know, I'm not my daddy. I'll still get away with it. Hey, somebody get those, those goblets that they got from Jerusalem. Let's have a party with them. That was Bill Shazer. 
My father was turned into an animal, and it changed me not one whit. It tells you a little bit about the hardness of the heart. That I can be that close to a humbling experience and not learn anything from it. Guys, before you take upon yourself the the duty and responsibility, and it is a duty because it's a means of grace, before you take on this, this responsibility of confronting a brother over their sin, just know that the ones who are, who are invited to do so are the spiritual. You who are spiritual, says the text, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And in that spirit of gentleness, in that spirituality, one of the earmarks is a, is a humility. And I'm telling you, as often as I say it, as often as I teach it, as often as I hear it, I still veer towards high-mindedness. I'm very close to it. The subject. Just like Belshazzar was very close to his daddy. And Belshazzar, or, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's experience didn't change Belshazzar one bit. And I stand, sit up here and I often say, God hates pride. Uh, he promises grace to the humble. I say it a lot. Has it changed us one iota? Or do, or uh, have we learned this lesson that came out of the mouth of a Babylonian king? And by the way, uh, a Babylonian king that I think we're going to see in heaven. I, I think Nebuchadnezzar, you, you know, who is the one who. Uh, brought his armies down and, and uh, destroyed Jerusalem. You know that. I think that Nebuchadnezzar is going to be in heaven. This, this, this Gentile Babylonian king says that God, um, who does according to his will among the host of heaven, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Have you learned that? Have we learned that? Well, before you go off trying to restore the errant brother, we need to know some more about that. But the danger is that I, the danger I'm pointing out is you can be very close to humble people and it not change you a bit. That is that that stirs me to think about. Okay. That's, that's what I wanted to add before I left verse 1. Now, guys, we go to verse 2. <laughs> um, guys, what I'm, what I'm about to teach you, or try to teach you, or teach about, you're not very good at. But you're probably better at it than I am. If you want to know, if you want to see a bit of the radical ethic that Jesus Christ stands for and teaches and represents, here it is. We're on top of it. You know, um, one of the things that I love about the Sermon on the Mount, you teach the Sermon on the Mount, or you read the Sermon on the Mount, and you think, holy moly, you expect me to do that? 
you know, um, pray for those who persecute me and, and, and speak evilly of me. You know, you, you, you expect me to do that? Turn my, my cheek and all that business? What an ethic. What a radical ethic is, is, is taught by Christianity. By the way, Christianity is not the ethic, but there is an ethic that's taught by Christianity. You want to hear it? Or would you rather go home? Because after you're here, you'd rather go home. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. What do you mean bear somebody else's burdens? I'm having trouble bearing my own. Gang, um, first of all, the implication is we all have burdens. That's pretty mindless, but we are being called to bear somebody else's burdens other than our own. Now, let me do something that I hope will clarify the admonition. At least I hope it will. Um, if, you'll, if you'll look at verse 2, which is what I'm teaching tonight, verse 2, but, but look up to chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, and I'm going to read the last half of 13 and 14, okay? Um, here's what the last half of 5.13 says. But through love, serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, guys, the reason I drew you up there is because um, there's, there are similarities in that statement and the statement that we find in 6.2. For instance, the, the primary one, you'll notice down in 6.2, it says, uh, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Notice up in 14, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Um, here's, here's what I think we could do. Um, you have the law of Christ, um, which equals uh, bearing one another's um, burdens. Um, which equals loving one's neighbor as oneself. Um, you know, normally on this board, I write so legibly, and everyone marvels at the beauty of my penmanship. But because of it, it's it's the elbow that that makes this so uh, unreadable. Uh, but, but I think what, what, I, what I'm simply trying to do is to show you that uh, in 5.13.14 and 6.2, what you have in essence is, um, is an equation of certain things. The law of Christ. Wow. Uh, now, why would, why would they talk about the law of Christ? Oh, well, that's love. Okay, well, then, then what does that mean? Well, it means loving your neighbor. And then what is, how does one do that? Well, one example of that is bearing 
one another's burdens. So if you get my math, the whole law of Christ is fulfilled in bearing one another's burdens. And you're not very good at that. But you're better at it than I am. <clears throat> um, guys, um, why would love be called law? Uh, the law of Christ is love. We, I think we all know that we are to love each other the way that Christ loved us. Um, and, and I think you've been taught before that the whole Old Testament is summarized in the word love. Um, but gang, here, here's where I think it at least becomes a little bit more specific, at least. Um, when one speaks of the love of Christ... What we're talking about is the life of Christ and the death of Christ that becomes the the supreme example of what this love looks like. Um, When we take note of his life and his attitude and all of his dealings, we have in a sense... A law or a standard or at least a breathtaking model of the kind of life that we're being asked to live. And that includes, just one of the things it includes, by the way, It includes bearing burdens of one another, which is a way to serve one another, which is a way to love one another, which is a a way to fulfill the law of Christ. So one of the things that I hope this does is at least make something that's very subjective something very objective. What is the love of Christ? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's bearing one another's burdens. I mean, that, that's a little bit more, um, uh, I, I can wrap my mind around that but a little bit better. We, we, um, what we're being instructed to do or admonished to do is that we are not to let people carry their burdens alone. But I'm awfully busy, Jimmy. And I'm... Um, I'm pretty consumed with my own. I, I get it. You know, guys, a, a burden can really be anything. You know, it can be um, raising your kids. It can be financial. It can be renovating a living space. Uh, it can be a problem. Um, but by using that word, that is, by, by calling them burdens, what Paul has done, I think, vividly and practically is, um, is teach us how we're supposed to relate to one another. The, the implications are enormous. Because if I'm going to bear one another, if, if I'm going to bear somebody else's burdens, 
uh, the, the first thing that's going to include is that I'm going to have to get real close to you. And some of what you're bearing is going to have to get on me. It's going to have to get on me. And I'm going to have to be close enough to you um, relationally so that uh, either I know about the burden or you're willing to tell me about it. I, I told you this is radical. <laughs> um, and you don't do very well at it. But you do better than I do. Um, I don't want us any comfort to you, but um, we are we are called to virtually stand in somebody else's shoes um, and allowing their burden to spill over on me, and then I am to put into use all of my strengths slash resources so that your burden shared by me now becomes lighter. Um, we, uh, We don't do very good at this. Um, guys, if I could, um, <clears throat> if I could just paraphrase the verse for you, <clears throat> I think it'll help at least explain it. But then I'm going to come back and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to remove some of the punch, which I hate to do, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, to paraphrase verse two, here's here's what um, the admonition is. Bear one another's burdens, and thus you follow in the footsteps of Christ who bore yours. I am called to to, um, model the model who bore all of my burdens. And so in the light of his saving work in my life, I am to enter into the to the people of God uh, with an intention of um, being close enough to you, um, intimate enough with you, that I can bring my resources and my strengths to bear so that your burdens are, uh, are made lighter. And that's supposed to be done um, mutually among us. I told you. <laughs> this is a radical Christian ethic, ladies and gentlemen. Now, what I'm about to do, I, I think I, it must be done because um, John Stott <laughs> said it should. Um, but I'm about to turn it into, instead of a, a real relational uh, admonition, I'm about to turn it into a theological point. And, and we're really good at um, nodding in agreement over theolo- theological points. 
when and then uh, miss the weight of the text, which says I'm supposed to bear one another's burdens. So, but I, but Stott made this observation, and I, I thought it was at least worth pointing it out to you that what Paul is doing in verse two is that he is taking another swipe at the Judaizers, and you remember they're the ones that he's writing to oppose in the whole book of Galatians. Those were, those guys were the false teachers who were trying to get the Galatians to come under the Mosaic law. Um, and those, those requirements of Mosaic law are called burdens in the great argument that takes place in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council, which that Paul attended. Um, and, and so, uh, in, in essence, what Paul is doing is, um, is, is telling the Christian churches that we have a new kind of obligation than we did before. Um, now we are to bear other burdens because Christ bore ours. Um, we're, we are not supposed to be putting burdens on people like the Judaizers were doing. We're supposed to be taking burdens off of them. Um, Stott is saying that that's Paul's intention by making this admonition is to uh, uh, add one more little peg in his argument against the Judaizers who were asking people to come under Mosaic law, which added burdens to them, when uh, the Christian ethic is that we're supposed to take burdens off of them. So that this... This is another piece of his argument for justification by faith. And that very well may be true, ladies and gentlemen. But please don't leave here tonight having heard another piece of theological um, uh, discussion. The text says this. Bear one another's burdens. and so fulfill the law of Christ. And and we can do a whole lot of theological um, uh, maneuvering around the text and try to turn it into a theological debate when in fact it's not. It's an admonition to us, guys. It's an admonition um, that our church family have enough intimacy to it that there are other parts of it that will bear up under your burdens while you're carrying them. I, I would say this. I think this is a reasonable um, modification. In a church this size, which we're not the biggest church in town, you, you know that, but even at this size, you are not going to be able to have that kind of relationship with everybody in this church. But there's got to be some. <clears throat> there's got to be some with whom your um, souls have been so knit together that you are not going to allow them to um, bear their burdens without you uh, getting underneath that burden with them. There's got to be some. Um, and if there is not, then I, I, I don't know why you're looking for a church home unless you just like the routine of going to a church. There, there is supposed to be family relationships built here. 
and we try to build those better and better in, uh, from, the, from the congregation to a Sunday school class to a grace group so that this admonition in some ways might be met and might be observed. Again, I, I am not suggesting... I mean, churches never got the size of Gracie Van in, in, when Paul was writing in the church at Galatia. But the point is the same. Um, life can be counted on to give us as much pain as we can stand. And in the midst of that pain, we're supposed to have people coming alongside us to bear burdens with us. Bringing into play all of our strengths and all of our resources so that those burdens might be lighter. And when we do that, we fulfill the law of Christ, which is loving your neighbor as yourself. If you thought Christianity was just obeying the Ten Commandments, um, then you got to you need to face admonitions such as, such as these all over again because that is a radical ethic. Let's quit. Our Father, um, forgive us. Uh, forgive us that we, um, we want church, and yet the demands of the church sometimes um, are, are very unappealing to us. And I um, pray that you will make this a place where burdens are shared and that the strong will come alongside the weak, making the weak strong so that that strong can come alongside other weak. Make this a place where nobody, nobody gets lost Nobody gets so marginalized that they, get, uh, they fall through the cracks and that nobody ever bears their burden alone. We do that, Father, knowing that it doesn't earn us one smidgen of merit before you. We do that because we have watched our Savior bear our burdens for us. So in response to him in all of his loveliness, might we emulate him by bearing one another's burdens. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.